Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Joshua Jacobs. Today for our learning, um, obviously we, we have Parshat Korach. First thing that happens is the big rebellion, which made me think that it might be nice to dive into to Musar and to some examining of virtues and values, which clearly seem to be misaligned during the Korach revolt. Um, so hopefully you're able to access the sheet. I'm going to share it for those who don't have it with them. Okay. Can everybody see it? Okay. All right. So this first um, drash, th- most of this is going to be Hasidic drashes. Um, and I'll give a little bit about the bios uh, afterwards. But uh, would anybody be interested in reading this first one? This is diving into that first, uh, one of the first verses we get. Rav Lechem B'nei Levi, you take too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. When Korach comes to Moses and says, uh, you know, why why are you the one who gets to be in charge? Aren't we all holy? Um, you know, I, I should be able to do, do more. And... Uh, and Moses responds, you take too much upon yourselves. You already have the priest. You, you already have these great uh, roles as Levites. Would you seek the priesthood as well? You take too much upon yourselves. Um, any volunteer to read this first source? Feel free to unmute and jump right in. Great. Joanna, please. I think you're muted. If there's a way to unmute Joanna, that'd be great. Maybe I have the power to do it. Great. I think you should be good now. Okay. I'm unmuted now. Mm-hmm. Great. You take too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. And Korach, who was wise, literally open, how did he fall into such foolish foolishness? His eyes caused him to sin, according to Rashi. It's possible to say, according to what was brought in the work, Noam Elimelech. It is established for us that a blind person is exempt from the appearance offering a particular sacrifice, as it is written, he will see, yera, vowel differently than the accepted translation, which is yera, he will appear. Great. So I'll just pause there for a little context. Um, you may have picked it up by, by the little um, parenthetical there, but basically the accepted translation of what he's referring to is a verse that says this person will appear before the sanctuary to offer this sacrifice. Um, but with it, what they're doing is they're voweling it differently. Instead of year a, he will appear They're voweling it year a, which means he will see and offer this sacrifice. So it's saying if a person can't see, if a person is blind, they would therefore be exempt from offering this particular sacrifice. So it's, it's an, it's an interesting read here. Um, whether or not you buy that that's, you know, legitimate, it's necessary for this drash that a blind person would, would not be able to offer this particular offering. So, um, Joanna, you can pick back up that meaning. Meaning a person needs two eyes, one eye to see and to observe the greatness of God. And the second eye to see one's, one's own baseness, humility, 
and one who is blind in one of his eyes, meaning he has one eye to see the greatness of God, the creator, but is missing the second eye to see his nothingness is deficient in the mitzvah of appearance. And the high priest who enters the sanctuary, this entrance was a test of appearance for him, and he needed two eyes. But Korach wasn't fit for the high priesthood, because even though he arrived at the exalted level and saw the greatness of God, he was missing the second eye to see his baseness. He saw a great chain of descendants that would come from him, according to Rashi. They are all holy, Numbers 16.3. You would seek the priesthood also, later in Numbers, same chapter, and this is the meaning of his mind's eye misled him. Perfect. So, yeah, the end there is a bit jumbly in need of some context, um, and it's a bit complicated. I think the message is actually pretty clear, which I'm going to ask you all for your feedback on that in just a moment. But it's it's kind of delivered in a complicated paragraph. So thank you. You did a beautiful job reading that. Um, the end there is just the weaving together of these different verses to, to sort of explain the, the Korach's psyche behind it. Um, there's a midrash, or Rashi says that 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 Korach saw a great chain of descendants that would come from him, and that was what led him to this revolt, saying, you know, if if Moses gets all the glory, and I know that I have great descendants that come from me, why should I be in the shadow of all these great leaders, Moses, and then my descendants? Clearly, I have to be a person of note as well. So he goes to Moses and seeks higher power. Um, they're all holy, right? We know that we're, if we're supposed to be a Goy Kadosh, a, a nation of priests and a, yeah, a holy nation, then I should, it shouldn't be so centralized. Uh, we should all be able to have this kind of power and leading to Moses's verse, which is what we're, we're um, drashing on, right? You would seek the priesthood also, you take too much upon yourself. And, and, and this, uh, and Rashi says what this means is that his mind's eye misled him. So we go into this conversation about eyes and sight. So um, I want to open it up for some reflections on this piece. Do you agree with it? Does it resonate with you? This idea of having two eyes, one to see God's greatness, the other to see our baseness. Korach clearly had one because he was a person of note. That's what they're grappling with here. He wasn't just uh, Joe Schmo. He, he, was a, he was a very respected person of status and power and wisdom and insight. So how could he have done something so terrible? It must be that while he had one eye to see God's glory, he was, forgive the language, but blind in the other eye, he was missing the capacity to see his own limitation. Um, so I wonder if this resonates with anybody. And in particular, we'll talk more about how it weaves into the next passage. But any thoughts and reflections on this one? Yes, I see a hand, Annette. I think you are on you're still muted great and we'll get it's, here it, uh, it's, I'm a nipper. it's interesting that he goes to moses mm-hmm. and asks for more authority is that interesting that he that he is not thinking that he should be praying to god or shem he goes to moses and and he asked Moses for more power. Hmm. Look at the authority that he grants Moses. Hmm. 
Now, we, we've always said that Moses, whatever authority he had, came from Hashem. Hashem, God, needed the power out to Moses. Mm-hmm. And now, Korah is going to Moses and asking for more power. I just find that, I find that, um, something to think about. That's all. I think that's really interesting. Um, I want, I have my own thought for why that's interesting, but can I ask you what, what about that strikes you? Well, it, you know, for many years I was in sales, mm-hmm. different type of sales, electronic sales. And I was dealing with factories. And I, and if you wanted to get your parts out, excuse me, Josh, just if you wanted to get your parts out, you didn't always go to the top guy, but you know you went to the one person there that is going to mm-hmm. be able to help you get your parts. And I, I am saying that Moses had a power allocated to him right. from God. And, you know, why you would go to him and say, okay, I want more power. It's, it, it, it's not clear to me because I don't know that Moses really had, Moses would really say, okay, you should have this. What, what you're Got saying it. is, okay, if you want, yeah. if you want him to be your agent and say, I need, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be a little, have a little humility and say, I would, I would like for you to speak on my behalf. Right. Thank you. No, I think that's really interesting. Um, if Korach was so devout, he would know that the source of authority comes from God, not Moses. Moses, in fact, didn't want it. Moses said, send somebody else. Right. So if he was truly as, as devout as he should have been, as he could have been, uh, why not pray to God about it? To Hashem, why? Or, or why? ask Moses to act on his behalf. Correct. Right. So it seems there's a there's a bit of malice here, some political intent. Um, very interesting. Yeah, Gary and Marlies, you had something? Okay. Um, this is just my thought. I mean, Korach was a, a major player, and he 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 reveled on it. But I don't think he. But my thing is, his blind eye was not not seeing the power above. He didn't. His blind eye. His blind eye was not listening to the comments from below he didn't i don't think he he heard the comments it's just not appropriate they're doing anything else because he only focused on what he wanted mm. nice so so that was a blindness <laughs> and that yes. that he was consumed with his own wants and needs and not those of others which any good leader should be uh, prioritizing thank you larry yes yeah, oh, oh, oh. oh marlies please yeah and then we'll get to, to larry um yeah i just but I guess the word nothingness and that is, yeah. to me seems rather extreme, uh-huh. but um, <laughs> Good. at the same time, you talked about limitations and Annette said humility. So I think just, you know, not being, think, being so grandiose. Uh, Great. So is what I would as we're just, uh, error or being so grandiose. Yes, thank you. No, I think that's a really good thing to point out and keep it in mind as we go to our next text. I I, want to get to the other hands. I'm not going to move on just yet. But um, literally, the the word in Hebrew is like Ephesut from the word Ephes, zero-ness, right? So it it is, it it actually is kind of an accurate translation, nothingness, or or Shephelut too, like um, lowness, like Shephelah, plain, right? So 
it, it is kind of a severe word, um, but you're right. It, it, it seems to be too imbalanced there. Cause at the end, right. I'm bringing this as an exploration in character. Uh, I think I titled this uh, uh, character as a balancing act, right? So uh, uh, it seems too extreme to consider yourself nothing, right? Clearly this, this commentary is saying he should have had an eye to his own nothingness, but, but you're raising the point that, well, that seems a little extreme. I don't know that we should consider ourselves to be nothing and that we need to have that, that sight to see our nothingness. That seems a little extreme. Hold on to that. Um, Larry and then Joanna, and then we'll, we'll move on. Shabbat shalom. Um, a couple of points. Uh, number one, to the point about the, um, uh, and that's point about uh, that the power comes from God. The, the Haftarah also echoes this theme about the people coming to the source of power. Um, here is Korach and his, his, um, and the others who are going to Moshe. And in the Haftarah for next week, it's the people going to Sh- uh, Shmuel and basically saying, we want a king. Mm, nice. So there is a, uh, there's that parallel. Um, I like this passage. I like the business about the two eyes and about humility. Um, first of all, supposedly Korach saw that his descendants would be great. And in contrast, though it doesn't say it, Moshe has no descendants who are great. Mm-hmm. So Moshe's, Mo- Moshe's legacy is not the legacy he leaves in terms of any line or uh, that passes on. So that <laughs> To some extent, teaches us that that's not what's important. What's important is your is your teaching. And the point about the two eyes and humility, um, I think, is a very important one, especially in uh, in light of not just current events, but we can think back to almost all times where where care, where leaders who are powerful fail to have humility, mm-hmm. uh, and that's their that's their undoing. Whereas Moshe although I don't like hagiography, Moshe, we know, was very humble. If we go back to the first chapters of Shemot, he basically was saying several times that he wasn't, right. he wasn't the one to lead the people. Absolutely, right? And that weaves back to, to Joanna's point earlier as well, that um, I, I think it was Joanna, maybe it was Annette saying it about that. Okay, sorry, then I think it was Annette. Um, but just this point of... Uh, the kind of person that would seek it out versus the person who would would recognize that it's not theirs to give, right? To where you're seeking that source of power. Yeah, that was Annette. Um, Joanna, I see your hand. I, I want to get to this next passage, so please hold on your thought because at the end I'd love to circle back. So don't lose what you're what you're thinking, but I want to give the next text enough time because I I love it. Um, and keep in mind what Marlee said about like eh, is nothingness a little too extreme. Uh, can I have a volunteer to read this one? Feel free to just unmute yourself and jump in. Any takers? Uh, sure. Thank you. Okay. Um, they tell this story. Is that what we're yeah. And by the way, another Hasidic drash. This one uh, talks about the Hafez Chaim. I have a little uh, bio and, you know, one line. This is Rav Yisrael Mer Kagan. That's the Hafez Chaim, uh, 19th century Poland, Belarus. So this is a story about him. Go ahead, Marlies. Thank you. They tell this story. Once the Hafez Chaim was walking in his tower in Radzim, His town. He's walking around his his town. His his town in Radzim, Belarus, on a dark and stormy night. The street was empty of people. A stranger delayed him who arrived on his carriage and asked him, 
Where does your Rav live? The Tzadik, the Hafetz Chaim. The Hafetz Chaim answered him. Firstly, he is not a Rav, and second, he is no Tzadik. The stranger said to him in astonishment, What are you saying? Everyone takes him to be a God-fearing man and a Tzadik. The Hafetz Chaim again responded to him. What everyone says, that isn't anything. The world doesn't know him. I know him better than, and I can assure you that this is a big exaggeration and hyperbole. The man became very angry and let strong curses slip from his mouth and finally whipped him with the whip that was in his hand. The Hafez Chaim was very saddened that he brought this man into sin. After a short while, when the Hafez Chaim returned home, he found the man sitting outside his house waiting for him. When the man realized that this was the Hafez Chaim, the, the same man he cursed and whipped, he was so shocked that he nearly fainted. The Hafez Chaim calmed him and persuaded him with his words, saying to him, it's nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. In righteousness, did those lashings come to me? Because it's not only forbidden to speak Lashon Hara, uh, slander, gossip, ill words against others, but also about oneself. It is forbidden to speak Lashon Hara. Great. Thank you. So any thoughts and reflections? I love this story. Um, I want to know if it hits you the same way. And particularly if you can compare and contrast it to the first story about, right, with an eye to Musar, what values can we glean from these texts? How should we walk through the world? The first text says two eyes, one towards God's greatness and the other to your nothingness, specifically your nothingness. And then this text seems to say, well, there's a danger to this nothingness thing because then you end up speaking so ill of yourself that you're committing Lashon Hara against yourself. And I think the whipping is an interesting symbol too, because it's, it's a device in this story here that the, the stranger gets so angry that you're bad mouthing the great Rav that he feels the righteous indignation to whip ironically the Havis Chaim himself. But I think there's that like self-flagellation imagery there too, of like what, what happens when we are so, so hard on ourselves that we, we whip ourselves. Um, any thoughts, reflections on this, comparing and contrasting? How should we walk through the world according to these Hasidic teachings? Well, it's... it's Please. Um, here we go. I was just going to say it's, it's sort of in the title of your uh, teaching about having balance in your self-regard, and it's probably the regard of others as well not to um, exaggerate, um, to kind of see real, realistically and understand everyone has flaws and uh, attributes. Yeah, I, it's absolutely a balancing act, seeing that everybody has flaws and every, you know, nobody's perfect. But I, I also wonder if there's like, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 20s, and so I'm speaking of a certain life experience and I, and I wonder, you know, on this call are people of all different ages and experience. And I, I wonder how our experiences differ because for me, I I'm in a stage of my life where I really struggle with this um, being too hard on, on yourself. I'll just say like, I'm in, I'm in Cleveland because unfortunately my, my fiance's grandfather just passed away in a, a, a tragic unexpected way. And uh, I figured, you know, she, even though she's in rabbinical school too, she could certainly lead the service for the Shiva minion, but 
she's Nogea Vidavari, you know, she, she's too emotionally involved in this. I, I'm happy to step up and lead. So I, I led the ashray. And in, in Betham Shivas, I think usually you, you do it silently. Everybody sort of, you know, you say the first verse and everybody then goes and does it. So I was doing that. And then I got nudged uh, uh, by one of their, but, you know, Alex nudged me and said, you know, they actually, you should say the whole thing out loud. And I kind of got tripped up by what Nusach I should say and if I should sing it. It's a Shiva how I just, I, I wasn't prepared because it wasn't what I was used to. And I ended up just like weaving in and out of different Nusachot. I kind of dipped into Shabbat and then I w- <laughs> swerved back into weekday and then did a little sprinkling of my own nonsense singing. And I just was kicking myself after that because I, this is her grandfather's Shiva and I blew Ashray and I, I was whipping. I can't even do Ashray right on something so important as this. And Alex was like, you got to just give you, cut yourself some slack. This is crazy. So, but I couldn't, it, it really, so I just wonder if, if anybody still finds themselves beating themselves up over minute things, or if you feel you're at a stage where maybe when I was younger, but now I'm more secure in myself and I don't do that. Larry, did you have something? Do I have to... Got it. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think we can all emphasize and put ourselves in your place in terms of um, beating ourselves up. And you shouldn't do it. And I'm sure you did a fine job. Thanks. But with all due respect, that's not what this story is about, I don't think. Go and this it. is not what the contrast in Korach is about. Because what it's really about is the false modesty. The false modesty that the Chafetz Chaim had in saying to the guy, ah, he's not such a great guy, don't worry about it where he simply could have acknowledged who he was to, to, to the gentleman. And he could have said, your, your, you know, your praises are, are, are too much for me. And, and that's, all, that's all this really required. The story that you're telling is another one for a different time that I can't help you with because I need the same sort of help. Um, and I think that the contrast here is that, that um, a, 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 an amount of, a false, false modesty not simply beating yourself up for your failures is is also it needs to be balanced with mm-hmm. the the confidence that one has in in oneself. Great. So whereas I would have read this and my sort of chiddush or hop, what I gleaned from this would be, um, you know, be humble but don't don't be self-flagellatory. That's the right balance. You're saying no, no, no. The danger isn't self-flagellation. It's False humility. That's the real danger. Not being truthful. Not being truthful. He's not being, he's not acknowledging the, who he was. And, and because he wasn't truthful, he let the man embarrass himself. And that, that was, was the sin. Mm. That he caused somebody to be embarrassed. This is a pretty well known story. You, you, when you lead somebody into a, a way that they're going to be embarrassed, mm-hmm. it's on you, not them. And you put them in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. If you're leading a service next time uh, uh, and, you're, and you are going to be a fabulous rabbi, so you say, what's the custom here? Yeah. If you ask that question ahead of time, what's the custom here? Then they would have told you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's it's a practical advice, but it's also 
it's a deeper it's a deeper metaphorical one. So I appreciate that. Um, I'll just say the, the, the final text here I, I added just because I felt I needed to. I, I'm sure we're all or most of us are familiar with this one, but in terms of the balancing act, this has a nice image of of two pieces of paper. Uh, I, it could be the same pocket, but for the sake of a literal balance here, I imagined one in one pocket and the other in the other, keeping you literally navigating the world, walking through it in a balanced way. Uh, this is Rabbi Simcha Bunim, uh, 18th century Poland. Um, one should always have two pieces of paper in your pocket at all times. On one, it should read, I am a speck of dust, I am but dust and ashes. And on the other, the world was created for me. So again, if we had more time, I would ask us to to see how this uh, stands with the others in terms of avoiding false humility, uh, not beating yourself up, um, seeing God's greatness, also somehow seeing your own greatness. And that is the, the, the final word I want to leave us with, which is um, humility, but not a false one. And also keeping an eye open to, to God's greatness. And given that we are created in the image of God, our own greatness and not shying away from, from that important uh, and empowering realization that we're all possessed of, of greatness. And uh, through the cultivation of our traits, which Musar is all about, we can strive to navigate the world um, seeking a little more balance uh, uh, and Masim Tovim good deeds. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.